Welcome to another week's edition of the podcast, Good Band, Bad Band, where we uh, discuss musical artists whose names sound similar, but the music is different. This week, we're doing Wham! of God. I am Jared. Caleb. This is Tyler. Make sure to take a really big drink, everybody, at the beginning of the show. Well. It's what Jared does. That's what I just did. And it was slurpy, slurpy. There we go. Yeah. It's a tradition. A tradition. Ah, yes. We all take a big old drink. Not before the recording, but right as the recording. Pour one out for old George. Yeah. Wow. We miss you, George. George Michael. Let's rip rip him. Rip Uh, him hard. So the group we're covering first is Wham. It's Wham. a duo. You mean Wham? Yep, there you go. <laughs> uh, it is uh, George Michael and a guy. His name is... <laughs> and a guy. Andrew Ridgely, yep. who uh, basically just kind of left the music industry after uh not finding any success post wham and yep. seeing how much success George Michael had and basically and just sad. living forever off of the money of careless whisper yes that's uh, his yeah. whole thing it's one of the only songs he got like additional songwriting credit for yeah. so he gets a lot of money uh yes. annually for his so songwriting you credit are telling me careless every time whisper. someone uh, watches sexy sax man he gets money every time yes every single time wow. what also is funny to me is that that song uh is marketed in some places as just a George Michael song. Yes. Yeah, I see. And that. then other, I think in the U.S. it's marketed as a Wham song, but it has kind of like a, hey, by the way, it's kind of just George Michael at the, you know, at the the title of the song, and so it's a case that he's making all of this money off of a song he's not even really featured on. He just like helped write that one particular song. That's so weird because it said it does say on here that yeah, it is a George Michael song, but it was on a Wham album mm-hmm. written by both members of Wham. That is correct. How is it a George Michael song? That is I don't correct. know I don't know how you got Spotify to do that cuz if you click on the album it's a Wham. It goes to Wham. It, yes. There's no way I don't even know how you got it to do that. How did it do that? It's it's also on a compilation album. His uh his big compilation, ladies and gentlemen, the best of George Michael. Even it's on a, so, it's a redux of the song, really. Even right. on Wikipedia, it says a single by George Michael from yep. the album Make It Big. Yep. And you go to Make It Big, it's a Wham album. It is indeed a Wham album. How does that make any sense? It does not. There is that state. And again, the strangest part of it again is that's the song that he helped write. So the one song, <laughs> one well, one of the few songs he actually was like a part of the writing process, he didn't even perform on the. The 45 yeah. artwork says Wham featuring George Michael, Careless Whisper. It's two people. Yep. <laughs> like it means he's I on the song twice. It's because the other guy didn't Wham sing on it. Featuring right? George Michael, meaning that he's in the song twice. Ridgely did Wham not sing it. on Careless Whisper, therefore it's a George Michael song theoretically, but right. he wrote it. But it's just really odd, like I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, like, it's, it's, a good, it's a good song. It is a good song. It's, it's kind a classic of, song. I guess it depends because they're not really like, they're not the instrumentalists or anything. Because, like, if you think about yeah, like a band, so. yes. you know, if it's a case that one person sings, that doesn't mean it's just that one person's song. It's everybody's song in the band. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. All Anyways. right. Well, here, here's another example that's questionable, right? Sure. Okay. Wake sure. me up before you go, go. Yes. Yeah. Big it's end. a song by Wham. Written by George Michael. Sure. But the inspiration for the song was a note that Andrew Ridgely, Ridgely had scribbled and left for his parents that read, wake me up before you go, but with up accidentally written twice. Wake me up up before you go. Oh. So he switched it. So, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't have been as so catchy. Then Ridgely wrote wake twice. me up, so then, so up then he wrote, before you go. That was catchy. Well, not even close. I don't know. So it's a little bit confusing here because then it also says that Ridgely wrote Go twice on there. So maybe he wrote Go twice and this thing was written incorrectly. Uh, but regardless, my point is this. He wrote the, the note double wrote each the, time. 
Wake, right. wake me, the, the me no, up, up before, why before doesn't he you, get a songwriting credit. That doesn't that's my. That's what I'm saying. He, the inspiration was a note with the words that he wrote. That's the main <laughs> words of the chorus. Yeah. Well, how is he not the writer? And Part of also, the writer on it. It's and like he knows the guy. Yeah. Well, I was just in case, the group with him. Like if it was a case that it was like I don't know, they found a scribbled paper on the sidewalk. They picked him. Like that's a cool line. Then put in a song. I'm gonna give it to like the the, the sidewalk, homeless you know, like written yeah. by homeless. Oh Joe. yeah, homeless Joe's on the credit, but like he's a part of the group. Yeah, and there's like there's no way that he handed the note to George Michael and said, "Just do what you will with it. I don't want to part it. Your note, not mine." I mean, they Here's realized they realized soon that he was a better songwriter, and they said, "I wonder where you it, just did he find it? Who found? Did he find the note? Why would you give a note you left for your parents saying such ridiculous things to George Michael? <laughs> yeah, or did he just find true. it?" Hey, George, check it out. I made a mistake on this note. You want to make a song about it and make it one of the biggest songs of the 80s? My theory is that George Michael, in an effort to write a bunch of Wham! songs and give Andrew Ridgely no credit, dug through Andrew Ridgely's garbage regularly and based things he found on <laughs> based his songs off of things he found in Andrew Ridgely's, Ridgely's garbage. I could I could see him just rifling through trash. Through his garbage. I need a song. So, uh, Wham! broke up in 1986. Yeah, and they they started what 82? Yeah, four years. Three yeah, they hours. were not they were not around for a super long time, but and, they had it. And uh, Ridgely, the other member not named George Michael, released his debut and so far only solo album in 1990. You know what that means? He waited too long. Four too years. Long. He did way too long. Nobody cared at that point. They wouldn't no. have cared Nobody, to begin with, really. It's yeah, like people if, already uh, didn't know who he was. Well, I mean, but they were a big group. I think that people knew who he was. Yeah, I mean, we probably know George Michael more because of Michael Moore, uh, because of the. I'm sorry, I said it out loud. I had to oh do my. it because of the fact that his uh, solo album came out so fast. Yes, it came on '87. Yeah. So when you have a, like a group split in '86, and the next year you've now come on the scene as a you know a songwriter and a vocalist, it's like, oh yeah, that's that guy from Wham. We should listen to that. Yeah, four years later, it was too way too late because again like i don't know that it was the case that he was like the big member throughout the process of wham being a group in the 80s who we just george michael yeah like we just don't we don't know like what i mean is is that like during the period that they were active that everybody just know like oh yeah it's george michael no i think because nobody didn't really care about like people didn't care about who was the writing credit no they were both performing yes so nobody really cared it's just that we know now that george michael was like a bigger songwriter and he's the one who had a long storied career following wham yes so wham Mm -hmm. really does come down to george michael though there's really no doubt about it another guy's just kind of a side you don't in the meantime before uh, releasing if you're listening yeah in the meantime before releasing uh his album originally moved to monaco and was a formula three motor racer oh that, album, cool. that album is called That's son why. of albert i don't i want to make sure we credit that album yeah to masterpiece yeah. or something it is son of albert so he's much cooler than george Mi- apparently george michael and i have no doubt is he just he was whiny he was a whiner hmm. what makes you say that well, I'm reading about some post-Wham era stuff, and apparently, after leaving, after Wham broke up, and while George Michael became a solo artist, he spoke negatively a lot about his time with Wham, which I find yeah. to be ironic already, since That's you weird. wrote all the songs for the most part, and I don't know, you know what I mean? What's how negative could it have been? Yeah, you wrote right. most of the songs; and they're huge. Yeah, you know, he did. He did do that. You're right. Right. He also, I think that George Michael mostly looked upon his Wham time uh, negatively because of how he wanted to be perceived as an artist. There's multiple places where it kind of says that George Michael wanted to kind of get away from the towards like teens because they were kind of like a poppy teen kind of you know sound. Uh, On his first solo album, he you know he diverted from that. Uh, to a fair degree, but then his next album that he released, it was called Listen Without Prejudice because he wanted people to come into the album thinking like, hey, like, I, you know, I, I know that I'm George Michael, but like, you know, give it a chance. That's basically why he named it that. Did you know uh, that uh, Ridgely is uh, dating and has dated since 1990, so they're basically probably common marriage uh, at this point. Uh, a member of the group Banana Rama who Indeed. sang the song Venus. It is true. 
Karen, oh. Karen uh, Woodward. Yeah, they split up for a couple years and then got back together. Yeah. I saw. I think 2019 or something. Yeah, like 17 that, to so. 19 they were. Yeah, so they've been Slit. they've been doing their thing for a little bit. That's cool. 80s uh, 80s pairing going down. Did you see the uh, the weird impact Wham had between uh, uh, relations with China? No, I missed this. What is? Did happening? you? No, Tyler. Did you see anything about this? Only briefly. I didn't get into it very far, though. Yeah. So, basically, Wham! went to China to perform, Mm -hmm. and it was, like, the very first time that a group had ever really done this before. So, their their, uh, manager pushed for them to be the ones who would go. They were there for a 10-day visit, and they were... It was a big deal to people that, like, a group from a Western country came to China to perform. Yes. However, this is my favorite part about it, Uh is that they... the the manager admitted that he uh, sabotaged it being a different group from being the one who went to China, and it was uh, Queen, uh, because what he did was he made brochures for the Chinese authorities. Uh, one of them showed Wham uh, fans, and they were all very nice, middle class kind of people, you know, like a something that was uh, kind of comfortable. Sure. And then he made one of Queen, and it was Freddie Mercury being his typical flamboyant self, and China was like. Uh, we'll take the middle class white yeah, nice smart. people that's... instead of this flamboyant man. So Wham were uh, Dennis Rodman to uh, indeed China's South Korea, absolutely or North Korea, which just was just wow. like that. Thank you. That's, it's, yeah, it's very, North Korea. North Korea. That's exactly Korea. what it was. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, pretty pretty great stuff, really. Huh. One of my other favorite things that I found about them because I did I did quite a look at uh, quite a looking into uh, George Michael because George Michael again like yes. he's got a lot of history to yeah, him. Yeah, we'll as well. probably never do George Michael, so I figured I put a bunch of George Michael well, stuff sure in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's really no. He's a very interesting filler. I would say so too. He had a song that was relatively popular, but hard to be kind of popular around this time. Uh, it was called "I Want Your Sex." Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, upon release of this, there was some some uh, controversy about the title. So they ended up releasing like a different version of the song called I Want Your Love, naturally. But when it was I Want Your Sex, there was a point in time where uh, a radio host refused to say the song title and just said, it's the new single from George Michael. And that man was Casey Kasem. Ah. Wow. Famous for his shaggy voice. Shaggy. And his uh, Robin from Batman. And his radio yeah. presence. Yeah. Many of these. Th- I, I prefer talking about him being shaggy. Yeah, he's shaggy. Everyone everyone should be aware of that one. Zoink, Scoob. Mm-hmm. I can't say I want sex. <laughs> like the new George Michael songs, just inappropriate for the radio. That's that's a that's a pretty uh, radio radio e cartoon voice. That's pretty. Good. I'm I've been working on being on the radio. Congratulations! I think you're doing a great job. He also back, just kind of in, he kind of just in general George Michael didn't really care to market himself. Like at a certain point in his life, he was just like, I just want to make music. Didn't he, he not didn't, want to tour or something like he that? He didn't really want to tour. He music videos, and then like he was mad at the record company for not marketing him more. And they were like, You won't be in music videos. What do you want us to do? That was on Listen Without Prejudice 2, because, uh-huh. of course, Volume 1, when you make something called Volume 1, the anticipated uh, yeah, I noticed idea that. is that yeah. Volume 2 will be coming. He covered right, it's he covered uh, Roxanne for his uh, jazz album, which was kind of cool. I also, it, this is one of my favorite ones that he did um, as, as a cover-ish uh-huh. version, is uh, the live performance he did with old uh, Elton John. Yes. It was uh, fairly popular. Don't, Don't let, let the, the sun, sun go, go down, down on, on me. me. Let's give a little bit of a, a listen to that one. Elton John, the man most famous for recording the soundtrack to Road to El Dorado. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad top, you mentioned it. Top, yeah. top of the line right there. You're oh, right. If you hadn't mentioned it, I don't know what I would do. It's almost, it's just the best. I don't care what people, oh, he had some album for Princess Diana and he did some other cool stuff. No, no it's, it's all El Dorado. Dorado. Yeah. You think he showed George Michael up in that case? 
Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Elton John is a much better singer than uh, George Michael. Yeah. yeah but know. George Michael's a very good singer, but Elton Elton John is just like has he's very unique. Elton John also brought a lot more flamboyancy to his gayness than George Michael did. Yes. Well, he was out sooner. Turn it up, George. To 11. It was, but you know what? The flamboyancy of the 80s was just like a kind of more subdued than the flamboyancy of the 70s. I don't know about you know? that. Maybe. I think so. Maybe. I don't know. Hard to say, I guess. I just think that I think that the the the, the flamboyant options with regards to uh to stage presence and decorum mm-hmm. is just different for Elton John's era than for George Michael's era. Yeah. It is it is interesting looking at the way that George Michael kind of approached his sexuality to some degree because he was he was uh, relatively open about his bisexuality and um, pretty early on, like it didn't get to a point until kind of like later in his career that he just said like, yeah, I'm gay. Like he, he kind of, it took time for him. But at the same time, like I think that he, it wasn't even like a, it didn't appear to me as though he was using like bisexuality as kind of like a mirage away from him being gay. It seemed like he really kind of thought about it throughout his life. Like he, um, and he dated a woman for a long time. And he's like, it wasn't that I, you know, just dated. It wasn't like he just dated her um, as a mask. He was doing because he actually wanted to. He slept with women throughout his career. He admitted to that as well. So, you know, it, it's just kind of um, it's interesting to look at the way, I guess, that he um, approached that portion of his um, uh, personal persona in the, the public eye. Very different from Elton John. Yeah, definitely then it's not the same. Of course... He was arrested I mean, in 1998 for public lewdness. What's that all yeah, about? That's you, an interesting story as well. Oh. It, yeah. Give us, give us a bit about it. I was about to get into it. Give it... What do you oh, got no, about Oh, no, go it? ahead. You're good. No, no. I, I, I haven't... I wanted to... I meant I wasn't going to bring it up. Oh, okay. So, basically, it was a sting operation. He was in a bathroom and a cop... Oh, no. Um kind of presented himself to like you show me yours i'll show you mine kind of thing uh-huh and george michael i suppose went first uh-huh. uh oh something my. something in that kind of realm uh I, I don't know the exact story obviously because i wasn't yeah. there but then uh george michael- entrapment hmm? it's entrapment there you can't do that yeah you would you definitely think so you can't go for the old show me yours i'll show you mine situation that was he uh, in the u.s or the uk at the time uh, he was in California. Oh, that's the U.S. So Michael stated, this is a direct quote, I got followed into the restroom and then this cop. I didn't know it was a cop, obviously. Sure. He started playing this game, which I think is called I'll Show You Mine, You Show Me Yours. And then when you show me yours, I'm going to nick you. Which just means like I'm going to arrest you. I, 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 had oh. to, I had to look into it to it's, make sure oh, that no. was... I was like, well, nick it's you. A, it, it could, it's a British term that could mean anything. Yes. Steal something or take yeah, something. Yeah, I thought it was uh-huh. Yeah. uh-huh. My my yeah. favorite part of this though is that Michael made a video uh, for his single "Outside," which satirized the public toilet incident and featured men dressed as policemen kissing each other. Nice. Yeah. And the cop who was involved was like, "You're mocking me." Yes. You're absolutely uh, mocking uh, me. And that uh, Mike he he actually like brought a court case against him uh, for it. The courts determined. That uh, as a public official, he could not legally recover damages for emotional distress. Nice. Yeah, that's Who fair. knew? I think it's also funny because I'm Who looking knew? at a, a photo of George Michael in the legal trouble section of his Wikipedia page, and he's performing outside, and he's dressed as a cop, too. Yeah, he's, he's leaning into it. He knows what he's up to. Yeah. It looks like he had a similar situation happen in 06 as well, where he was accused of engaging in anonymous public sex in London. He was... He's a bit of a floozy. He died on Christmas Day. Oh, man. That's sad. In 2016. What a bad, what a bad Christmas. Uh, only 53 years young. I thought I read that he died of natural causes, but that is not uh, the case. It was uh, no. heart mm-hmm. ailment and, and things. He had a lot of drug issues throughout his life. Yeah, yes. he so, did. So I think that, that obviously would play a part in uh, his health going forward into his passing. Oh, so. yes. Uh, I know that there's a clip that we, or not a clip we should play because it's the song we already played, but mention that there is a film that uh, has a Wham song that is known. It's the movie Zoolander with Ben Stiller. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a scene where the song uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is played uh, prominently in their 
uh, washing a car and uh, pumping gas and uh, uh, it, it, it's quite a scene. Let's at least make sure that the, the line gets said here really quickly. You know what could really help you sort through these important issues? What? Orange mocha frappuccino! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! yeah. From there, it's pretty much the exact same thing, you know, song-wise. Yeah. But, but patron John did bring it up, and we want to make sure that it's featured. As he should. Show. I mean, that's where I know the song from. Is, is it really? Is that not where you know it from? Yeah. No. I've never watched Zoolander in my life. What is wrong with y'all? It's been a really long little... time since I listened. What is wrong with y'all? I mean, yeah. Well, oh, Jared, you're just assuming that because Jared hasn't seen it, I haven't seen it either. Right. Brothers have only seen the same things. Oh, that's oh not true. That's not Jared true. watches a lot more movies than me, <laughs> oh, man. Way I get, name, more movies than me. Name me a scene in a movie that goes more from absolute fun with the gasoline fight to total uh, dramatic. Yeah, movie I didn't changer. want to spoil. I didn't want to spoil it, but I'm sure uh, you know, can't really spoil something that came out in like '98 or whatever. No spoilers. Uh, I've oh, never. Every- it, but, oh uh, man, I was mean to watch that this weekend. They were throwing gasoline on each other from the pump. They I've never seen that before. Like gasoline. And uh, then the guy, uh, uh, very dumbly, lights a cigarette and explodes the entire gas station. He, everything. Uh, everything blew up. I uh, mean, have you ever? He really put the boom boom into your heart. Oh boy. I'm not gonna lie. Any any anyone I know who saw that movie around the time I would have seen it, which would have been you know probably like middle school. Uh huh. Uh, it has definitely one to have gasoline fights now. Doesn't that just look the yeah, best? Yeah, it looked kind of fun, but it's, it's, it's the Fight Club of the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Technically, that came out with ninety nine, so it doesn't it doesn't matter anyway. Oh, oh one, oh one, actually. Okay, then we're safe. Good. I couldn't remember. For we're sure. safe. We're safe. Think Zoolander God. came out in 01? no one. No, Fight Club. Oh. Or Zoolander came out in 01? Yeah. Oh, so it's the Fight Club of the two thousands. Yes. And Fight Club. Yeah. Is the Fight Club of the nineties? Of the nineties, yes. So, okay, uh, okay. We, <laughs> we haven't talked a ton about the music, so I'll very uh, quickly. What music? Uh, the oh, yeah, music. I know, I know. Other than okay, so they're uh, one Please. of their biggest songs is "Wake Me Up." Obviously, then uh, another is the "Careless Whisper." Last Christmas is a song you'll hear every year. Oh, it's very big. Oh, Do you hate it. that song, Tyler? Oh, it's terrible. I didn't you even hate know every was, Christmas song. Yes. But the rest, I did of the not singles, every one of them, but most I didn't even know that was Wham. Honestly, uh, the rest of the singles uh, were not very good. And, I don't know about that. And also, they have a rap song. I was just gonna bring Wait, that oh, up. It's called, Wham rap. Enjoy what you do yeah. is a great song. Oh, you liked it. The reason know. for that is because there are two versions of that song. Okay. Because one of them is the uh, unradio-friendly version of the Ooh. song. And they say swear words. In a rap song? Ooh! Yep, wham. wham. It's, it's, sa- it's like almost song? the exact same song. But I will uh, I'll really quickly play you uh, play the, the... the second version of the song. Now listen to me. Cut the radio bullshit. This is not me. You think I'm a slob because I ain't got a job. Well, I don't give a shit, man. Can't you see? I don't need you. So you don't. Gotta admit, that's wild. Gotta admit, okay, this was bad man. This was early for hip hop. Okay, yeah, eighty one. This is er early for hip hop. Okay, well, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, like who else? Who else was doing raps in like eighty one to eighty three? It's also it. It is Uh, like it is New York. It is obviously very um, rap based vocally but it also sounds like a james brown song it was written by mostly by ridgely he was making up his own words wham bam i am the man while dancing to the song rapper's delight by sugar hill gang oh which, yeah which makes total sense yes it does but uh yes they, it does one of the earliest samples truly so Ridgely is the real artist here. I just want to. Yeah, yeah. It's completely clear that he 
It's all him. That was a wild song. It is a wild. I I think it's. It was I the most it's, it's uh, prominent non-single bad, what, song. What, that what, I what bad lyrics? Lyric. He didn't like it. It's naughty lyric. <laughs> like Zoinks! I can't put that on the radio either. It was their first radio single. It's the first song they wrote together. They left their previous group. Did and... you see what their previous group used to be? Uh, no. Uh, the executive? Yeah. What are they? I don't know. What are they? Look a little bit more. It, it won't let me click on it. Oh no, Tyler. Did you see? The executive. Yeah. Did you see what the executive? Just say is it. Just. They were a ska band. Oh, oh no, they weren't. Yeah, they were. I couldn't oh. find anything though. Oh my goodness. Couldn't like the because they were too early for uh for the ability to really have a whole lot and it's not like they did a whole lot to be going but did you find it can you find it can we find it somewhere I, that's what i'm saying i could not find really anything but i did definitely see that it was a short-lived ska band called the executive i like that it has an exclamation point as well does it i didn't see any exclamation point yeah on look at the associated acts on wikipedia oh i guess it does right there huh Look at that. Well, there you go. They knew people would be excited about. I'd love to hear Wham's version of Scoff. They can do, if they could do rap at that quality so early in the scene, imagine how they made ska music. Man. Let's listen to Lamb of sure. God now. Redneck. Have you seen the music video for Redneck? It's been a long time. Been a while. It's a. Uh, it's an interesting one. They uh, they have this uh, this family who's getting ready for their daughter's birthday party. Uh huh. And uh, they're like, yeah, we got the the dad's sitting there. He's like, I'm gonna sing you a song for your birthday. He's sitting there playing the guitar, and I think it was, it might have been Mary had a little lamb, which would have been, you know intentional but i can't remember for sure anyways so the mom the mom is like uh no we're gonna get like actual like an actual band it's a, it's a big birthday party so she's looking at the newspaper she's like oh this lamb of god sounds good so then the whole video mm-hmm. is just lamb of god coming to the birthday party just trashing the place playing some metal music while all these poor suburban uh individuals are just trashed huh trash ruining the birthday party with all their stripper women and their big old uh their big old van driving through the tables and such but yeah that's uh that's lamb of god in a nutshell hmm. lamb of god is a um metal adjacent band i suppose i see metal kind of adjacent i mean they're yeah. metal but like there's metal version like there's different forms of metal that they're like thrash metal is kind of like the big one that i saw groove metal groove metal is also those mentioned just, that's just subgroups there that's subgroups. Yeah, that's yeah they're not, not not metal adjacent they're subgroups yeah. okay fine i misspoke not the point um that have been around since kind of like the they were mostly in the the early 2000s i would say is kind of where the height of Lamb of God was kind of centered around the mostly, mostly in like the 2004 to 2006 range, I would say is when like their bigger mm-hmm. songs were, were kind of coming out. Sacrament of course was kind of a, a big one for them, which was 2006. Uh, their biggest song was off of their 2004 album. So this is the time period. Uh, yeah. I would say personally, uh, I think that they are a mixture of uh, the gent band Mashuga and um a pantera light if you will sure diet pantera is really the 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 phrase that resounded in my head at on many different occasions huh interesting yeah i suppose so because we didn't listen to i uh, so i i reached out to a friend of mine you know him as will you too uh-huh who quite enjoys Meshuggah and some metal-y stuff. And I, who I've been talking to recently about attempting, you know, I like metal, and, but I'm not uh, deep into metal and I want to get, like more metal and it, but I find some of it to be difficult. Sure. So I reached out to him on his thoughts of Lamb of God, which he responded saying that he likes 
their debut, New American Gospel, and some songs off of their sophomore album, As the Palace is Burnt, and that everything else is bad. Hmm. So those are albums we didn't listen to. Apparently, there's a, a pretty dramatic shift in production quality into Philadelphia, or at least into Ashes of the Wake. Hmm. Uh, this I was not aware oh, sorry. of. Sorry, Philadelphia is a live album, so into Ashes of the Wake. Why isn't he on the show? To say all these things, why are you well, here, Tyler? I'm, what I'm why saying are you is here, that Tyler, telling us what your friend said. Is that the, the I think that the because I end up well, I'm saying this to preface my point is that yeah. because of that, I listened to some of the earlier uh, earlier reading. stuff, and sure. it is let it's more sloppy ah. uh, production wise, but it's more raw, and I think maybe it's slightly. I'm not saying it's. I mean, it's not Meshuggah by any sure, but it is less. Uh, of the second of the latter of the things that you are reminded Less of Pantera diet Pantera yes, yeah, diet yeah. Pantera then the later things that makes sense I I was never really into Lamb of God they were kind of associated with a lot of groups that maybe would have made sense for me to be into around that time yeah they would they toured I think with like I saw Mastodon uh, I even think that they opened for like Metallica at one point they yes, performed at like do. one of the well yeah they performed at like a farewell show for Slayer that happened, I think, maybe. Slayer. Which like I don't know. But yeah, so they they were really pretty like popular in the metal realm at that time, which was a the period two thousands, yes. Yes. Uh which was a period where like, you know, metal wasn't doing terrible at that point. Like they I think were one of the, the early bands who were featured on Headbangers Ball, if I remember correctly. That would not be surprising. No, I think that, that makes sense. My yeah. first uh, oh sorry. Oh, sorry. I mean, metal at that point, metal had kind of found its way into a certain level of mainstream, at least the sounds of metal. Yeah. Even though it had been like, di- like, let's talk about briefly, uh, like Disturbed, which is like a post grunge metal mixture yeah. that is just utter garbage, but that Lamb of God is significantly more metal than. Yeah. Another one that uh, is way more metal, but didn't have the same height of popular would be like a Kill Switch Engage, yeah. who had a lot of popularity around this time in the metal realm. Um, I would. They're probably more popular radio-wise than because you. Like, yeah, though they've got rock, more of a, a more of a pop. Yeah, like sound rock radio doesn't play the kind of stuff that Lamb of God plays, but right. they they're featured on like Mayhem Fest a lot and stuff. I've right. seen. I saw Lamb of God a few years that ago. Surprised me. Yeah, like, like probably. Like, uh, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen ish. Yeah, um, area. Like Killswitch Engage's uh, "Arms of Sorrow" was a pretty popular song, and my curse was as well because there's a little bit more of a melodic, yeah, there's not t- a lot like of thing melodic. to it. No, Lamb of God's like got no melody to him at all. Not well, a lick yeah. of it. <clears throat> my uh, introduction to them, I believe, uh, was uh, I was when I was trying to get into music back years ago. I would look up uh, like what songs were nominated for Grammys. Uh, for like best metal actor song or whatever, so I'd like uh, download those songs and like listen and try and like pick groups based on what the you know like this is what the Grammys say or this is what Blender magazine says or whatever. But sure, Redneck was nominated for a best metal performance. They lost to Slayer. They did in two thousand and seven uh, to the song Eyes of the Insane. Um, but yeah, I remember the I remember the song Redneck. I remember the music video as Caleb said. Um, and then I didn't really follow them that much. Uh, there was uh, there not that there wasn't things uh, to follow, which oh, we will get, there will be. We will get to there now, I suppose. Well, hold on. I want to say my introduction as well because it's uh, worthwhile mentioning. Sure. Mine was, which is not surprising, Guitar Hero because uh-huh. this was around when people were um, getting into more metal related things or just the hard rock, rock, whatever it might be, guitar driven. Music was becoming more popular in a younger audience because of Guitar Hero, and they had songs that were featured in it. So, um, like I was familiar with Laid to Rest, I was familiar with Redneck. I don't think I knew really any of their other songs other than the big two. I'm sure I've heard other things from them at some point, but those were really the two that I was like actually familiar with. Tyler, when was your first familiarity with a uh, Lamb of God? Was it just recently, or did you like listen to them back at that time, or? Yeah, I've said- never really, I've never listened to them, uh, you know, like as a, a band that I regularly would, would visit. I've heard them many times. I, I probably would have been, like the first time I would have heard Lamb of God would have been maybe like high school, so mid to late 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because 
at that time I was, I mean, first off, a lot of people, like I'll bring up, you know, disturbed and corn again. Like a lot sure. of people were into that, like post grunge, that's more metal like yeah. mixture thing during that time. So I heard a lot of it was also popular around this time. Yeah. Uh, my cousin was listening to some of that music and then my name. So like the name got thrown around a little bit because the like Lamb of God is here's what I found listening. Like this week is probably the most intensive listening I've done. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I never really sought them out. I heard songs on the potentially uh, just from people who were like listening to it. Uh, my neighbor probably got me into a little bit more of like a medley understanding of things or whatever. So mm -hmm. I, and, and we listened to, uh, you know, system of a down who is like more metal than some, even though they're on the radio than like some of this other stuff, you know? So sure. in that realm of things, but Lamb of God is like, for me, a person who has a, like, I have a difficult time with bands like Meshuggah, like that type of metal, mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of the density in the music and the density means that like the mix tends to be very even. Okay. And that's very difficult for me. I don't like how even the mix is and it, it makes it like mushy and just like loud. And it's like all it's, I don't know. Like, I don't mind in your face music, Sure, but. It's just like I can't. It's hard to pick things out because everything is is like more even. Right. What you so what you're saying is is that like the percussion and the guitars and everything all kind of like meshes together. So it's more of just like kind of explosive bursts rather than like um, like it's hard to notice what the tonality is of things that are happening. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's not as much of a focus on on melody uh, because the melody isn't isn't as like it's just not as prominent. Right. It's just continual. Right. I mean, Meshuggah is a great example of that, where most of what they're doing is just kind of... The, the term that you hear in metal a lot is chugging. Just yes. some chugging guitars like a train. They just, like... Like, it's just kind of um, hitting the same, like, really, really low note as fast as you can and just kind of, like, creating, again, more of, like, a percussive element to uh, the guitars rather than using it as a means of like, you know, some right. kind of melody, like you're saying, even the drums. I mean, the drums are, you know, it's all about like, ex, ex, for me, a lot of bass. Um, it's excessive. It's excessive. That's what I would say. It's excessive. It's because, and there's what they don't, what doesn't happen often. And I, I actually just talked to Will about this recently, which is nice that we're getting into this is like, there's not a lot of room for any of the stuff to breathe. Sure. You know, there's no room. Everything, every moment is filled with sound that is like actively being made, which is, you know, it's something I have, I need to like, to like listen to more and determine how I feel about it and see if it's, you know, cause it's music I want to be more interested in. And I want to like more, Yeah. but it's, I'm finding it very difficult because that's not really my, like my style of sure. mixing. I think but Lamb of God, oh, God, well, I'm sorry. Lamb of God is not mixed that way. Yeah. I will Lamb say. Of God is, that you probably you probably would like I, I mentioned it with Meshuggah, but you probably would like some forms of gent because that um is very guitar based and it's a little bit more experimental and even like arguably a little mathy. Um yeah. so that's something that maybe you would latch onto. Redneck, uh or anything really from Lamb of God is that form of kind of like that uh more mm -hmm. chugging um kind of blend of not really being able to tell what's going on, but go on. Yeah, well it's just mixed differently. Sure. It's just mixed like it, you know, Lamb of God is just mixed differently. It's not mixed like that. There's more room. I can make out certain things and like things are just focused differently. One thing that I just struggle with in Meshuggah style metal is like there's lots of mathy type of licks actually, but they're I, like, I can't pick them out. I can't, there's no room for them to breathe. I'm just like, let yeah. it, let this lick be what it is for a second. Whoa, man. So, but Lamb of God is not like that. So, um, they fit into like a different place in that regard. So I, I'm attempting to use Lamb of God, particularly the first couple of albums as like a way to like ease into an area of metal. Sure. Makes sense. Jared, are you ready to, to dig into the, the big, the big meaty end of Lamb of God? I suppose. I think there's a lot to say about it. It's, it's worthwhile digging into for sure. I spent a lot of time looking at it. Uh, did you? I did. Okay. So in uh, 2010, Lamb of God were playing a show in uh, the Czech Republic. And uh, a fan jumped on stage and uh, 
Randy Blythe, the lead singer of Lamb of God, pushed the fan off the stage. And that is as far as Randy Blythe really thought of that situation. Indeed. Uh, until probably 2012. But I think he had to have known that there was something going on. I don't think he might have, because really it's not like you're looking at the Czech Republic news but how it, like, in your daily but, life. But if somebody's investigating you... so. I'll, I'll continue this please before so in 2012 they went back to the Czech Republic to perform a show and he was arrested for uh, manslaughter because the fan died they fell and hit their head went into a coma and died and uh, they arrested Mr. Blythe on those charges and uh, he was uh, apprehended and uh, detained for five weeks in the Czech Republic before being able to post bail and return to the United States. He then returned to face trial, which is uh, very interesting and scary because he could have probably just not gone back. Theoretically, and, yeah. Uh, I don't know if they would have, you know, like, what's that What's that word? Expa? It's not expedite, oh, is it? Um, no. no, extradite. Extradite. Thank yes. you, Tyler. I was looking for the word, too. Uh, they probably wouldn't have done that in the U.S. because they would have probably said, well, these charges are probably bullshit anyways, or whatever. So, But he said, I'm going to go back and face this trial uh, knowing. The thing that's kind of crazy is you don't know this other country's like political and court proceedings. Right. So he could have gotten like screwed, even if it was a f- like, because they could have just not had a fair trial because they don't have any like reason to. Anyway, so sure. he... Um, was found uh, basically guilty of negligence but not charged with the murder because they said mostly it was the promoter and the security's fault that the person died, not his fault. And uh, so then he was allowed to go back to the U.S. Uh, It is a very odd thing. I was following it. I heard about uh, that in 2012 when that all was happening, and it was really odd. I remember we had like Alternative Press magazine and they talked about it and I would read online and stuff, uh, various things about this case. Um, so I, I suppose justice prevailed or something. Uh, it's very odd. Um, yeah. So what what do you have, Caleb, that you've done research that you feel on this topic? I think you covered the bases quite well. Uh, there's a lot of people who are in the metal community who were offering support yes. for him throughout mm-hmm. this process. It is kind of a – it's an interesting kind of way of looking at how the manslaughter um, concept works within these uh, confines. So they mentioned that apparently – at least I think that he said it or it, it was – you know, somebody had suggested – that this was like the third time that this guy tried to come onto the stage. So security had backed him off twice. He got past security on the third attempt, and then he made it to the stage. So, um, you know, when you're performing, and I, I guess he's he's got, I guess, a bit of a history of kind of like being rough with the crowd, is what it seemed like I had gathered from what I was looking into. I mean, I think that... Uh, Just in general, that's a metal show. Yeah, that's a metal thing anyways, but I can also right. see like certain lead singers being frustrated with people coming up and messing with them when they're on stage. I've seen uh, lots of different, even like pop punk stuff where like uh, a lead singer will get in trouble for like kicking a fan off, like kick with their foot. Right. And uh, it's like this odd thing of like safety for the fan, but also like safety of the, um, the performer. Performer. Like, I mean, in, in the history of metal, Mm -hmm. when you brought this up earlier is, uh, Pantera sure. with the group uh, or Dimebag Daryl. Yes. He was shot and killed on stage. Indeed. Dimebag Daryl was. That's what they, so they mentioned in that this situation community too. of metal. You understand this risk that you possibly have when fans come up and do things to you. And so in that scenario, Randy Blythe is probably not thinking, I need to protect this fan. He's sure. thinking, I need to protect myself. That's where things become so muddled in this specific kind of context, where by a literal um, definition of manslaughter, he is guilty. He mistakenly killed somebody. This is he was... Uh 
morally responsible but not liable basically the, yeah right. it wasn't criminally yes. he wasn't criminally yeah liable Correct. for it yeah. but what i mean is is that based on the definition of manslaughter which is just effectively accidentally doing something that led to someone dying that is what happened but yeah. the the way that you could kind of like look at it from two different ends is was he defending himself versus was he being negligent because again at a metal show this is the kind of behavior that you would anticipate you would anticipate people to Some, charge sometimes the crowd. i've watched you a would lot anticipate of, uh... there being some kind of like exchange between the artist and yeah. the crowd member so it's very hard to say uh you know which one is theoretically liable in that moment is it a case that you being a fan charging the stage um which is something very common at a metal show yes are you you know are you putting yourself at risk of being pushed off of a stage and dying you know like by doing that action but then again is it a case that the person on stage needs to be you know like you know let the let the security handle it they know what they're doing like you know like that's where it's so muddled because there aren't really other instances in which you see um a understandable context for someone to charge at somebody. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you don't usually have loud music and a big stage where it's almost like encouraged for people to get up there and like throw fists and what have you. It's just a metal thing. I mean, it's, it's all kind of tough. We've kind of left an era. you know, there was an era like in the grunge period where you played at venues that, uh, even like a more sizable venue. I mean, I've seen videos like of Nirvana playing where you have a guy on stage whose job it is to get people off stage. You know, people can are welcome to come yeah. on stage momentarily, but come someone is directing them. Come as you were. Yeah, their actions are directed. Yeah. You know, a person comes on stage, oh, you do your little thing, a guy is right there next to you, and then you get, you know, he makes sure you get off the stage, regardless right. of how it happens, jumping Stage diving, pulled action, off. It's like, yeah, it's the individual's actions, though. Like, someone is is making the individual remove themselves from the stage. Right. But, you know, at, like, large venues where it's just, it just, like, can be difficult or even just, like, places where, um, you know, you're relying on the venue security. Mm-hmm. You know, the promoter has found a venue for you. You have, you know, things have been arranged. And you being uh, a member of the band have like really little understanding of like the venue security system. Like that's your manager's job or the promoter's job. I mean, like that is true in the U S but then like also put into the fact that they were in a different country where they didn't speak the language. And it's like, you're putting a lot of faith in uh, a venue in another country that you don't even know kind of what their rules are potentially. Like there's a lot of variables. The other thing, like I was thinking is like, you know, like, if somebody falls like that at a concert, they're like, okay, let's, you got to move them out of the way. You got then like, so then like, it could be the negligence on the person that uh, took care of uh, him when he fell or the negligence on the paramedic potential. You know, like there are a few different things where I didn't look into all those types. I'm sure they were discussed with, but that's like, but like if somebody falls, you know, like, okay, you, you know, don't move them, don't move their neck, that kind of thing. Like just anywhere. Right. But then when you have a metal concert where like all these people surrounding, you got to move like basically the the kind of thing. The thing that you would do at a metal concert, you'd say, get them up, get them up. So they don't don't get like that's trampled on. on, Right. So who knows? I mean, I don't know if you read of the extent of his injury, but for all we know, it could have been a, a brain injury that led to his death days later that he that everyone was unaware of but he could have got himself up no he definitely so he had not been intoxicated or anything he did suffer mm-hmm. brain damage it was supposed it was based on the fall and he died days later after the incident so yeah. it was i'm definitely- talking about what happened at like once he was pushed off the stage Oh, you I don't know. think so. I think that it was it was pretty clearly this from at least what from what I could tell. I'll yeah. I'll enhance it just to to kind of make an argument uh, of not uh, for or against, but more of less just like uh. put into your head like what would you think? Um, so let's say that we hyper like uh, hyper extend it to a someone like a Gigi Allen. So it, at a Gigi Allen show, you would anticipate that he is going to do ridiculous and crazy things at a show. It's just what happens. Right. In the event that he were to punch somebody or shove somebody and they hit the ground and hit their head and got hurt, would it be the case that you would blame the person for being there 
who put themselves in a theoretical danger by being at a Gigi Allen show, or do you hold Gigi Allen accountable for the fact that he hurt somebody? That's where it's such a weird muddled line of these people are at a metal show. They're doing things you would anticipate at a metal show. The singer is reacting to what you would anticipate at a metal show and something happened. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, really tough, weird line that you wouldn't find in almost any other context other than this one. Well, I guess another would be like a sporting event or something like that. Like, uh, like when it's not people as common, run though, on the soccer think, but... fields naked or whatever, and then like they get like tackled by security, or uh, or like jumping into a wrestling ring, and then like uh, we've watched a bunch of videos of people like jumping into wrestling rings, and once a fan does that, the wrestler like just kicks the crap out of them, just because like beats you them don't down. know what that person's gonna try and do to you or right. your your opponent, your referee, whatever. And so, like, you're protecting yourself at all costs. And, like, it's a professional wrestler who is physically uh, dominant. Right. And then some dude. And it's like, the dude's going to lose, bro. And that's a different, that's a kind of odd one, too, where it's like, it's not encouraged in any kind of context for someone to run into a wrestling ring. It's it's a performance they're watching. Yeah, no, it's not encouraged at all. But again, at like a concert, there's a, a yeah. almost oh, no. an inherent implied encouragement that like yeah get on the stage and go crazy it's what this metal show is for yeah that's why they put like signs up no no um stage diving no mm. um uh what's that thing called where you push the person oh uh, uh crowd serving crowd serving oh yeah that's Things becoming like that. i mean it's all becoming in- increasingly limited all the things that we associate with certain types of music sure musical See, like they, they do like they have the signs but then they still allow it but if somebody gets hurt they can't Get in trouble for it because the right. sign says right. not to do it. Right. So the fan they is breaking. It, even though we told the you, the fan not is to. breaking the rule. So therefore, they are responsible, not the venue. It's very smart well, it's marketing. Has to be made. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Or else you'd have to have like everyone sign. You know, you don't want everyone signing a, wa- a, a physical like no. a waiver. Yeah. When yeah, they come in. Odd. Yeah. You're signing it no. by your ticket where it says on the back of it not to do these things that are the rules. Right. Right. So, right. But in the event that they did the opposite direction, like yeah, go out there and beat each other up and yeah. someone gets hurt it's like yeah you told him to do that so uh let's move on from the uh we spent a lot of time yeah yeah, yeah quite a well bit i got one time. last thing for that real quick okay, so yeah. uh one thing to make it a little mushier and i don't know how far y'all read but in 2015 uh but then demanded 15 million basically check dollars for damages what from- damages well he wasn't able to tour for those for that time his name was disparaged yeah he I, demanded it from the know. from the court system in prague that doesn't make sense. Did he win it? You... No, it was dismissed, as yeah. it should be. Yeah, I was going to say that you should dismiss that. That doesn't make any sense to me because, I... again, like, like uh, that's like if I were to get arrested for something that, like, I mean, again, like, it was a legitimate arrest. He did indeed push this guy off and he died. So it's just something that they would have to investigate. You don't sue them for investigating a case. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. yeah, there was some damages that occurred, but like you know, that stuff happens. Like yeah, he should have just counted his blessings of the fact that he's not in prison in for five Czech to Republic. ten years. Yeah, yeah. In the Czech Republic, just said I'm gonna go home, and, and that's that. Yeah, let's just leave this one be now. But, yeah. But yeah. In uh, January of 2012, uh, Randy Blythe, the lead singer of Lamb of God announced that he would be running for president of the United States of America via a blog post entitled, I want to be the big cheese. His official campaign slogan, fuck the dumb shit, let's get real here, uh, was posted. Uh, he did not appear on any ballot, but he, so he just kind of said he was going to, it sounds like a, a goof. I don't, I don't like when celebrities do this. Well, I does. Yeah. I find Kanye. no joy. I find no joy in Kanye running or The Rock talking about it and like The Rock uh. being like, if the people want it, the people are dumb. Don't listen to the people. <laughs> the people are fucking dumb. Do not like. Oh yeah, let's all have the like. What does The Rock know? Kid Rock was in the same. Oh. Too many rocks. Too many also, rocks in politics, if, okay? You got to like be as the celebrity if you as have, the person if you hey, have rock that. in your name, stay out of politics. Yeah. As the person who has this the the status of everyone knows you, uh you should probably uh, be a little bit appropriate and responsible with regards to being like, "Well, if the people want it, that doesn't mean you have to do it, you idiot." I'd like to make one amendment. When I say that anybody who has rock in their name don't be a part of politics, I am not including Barack 
That is different. Oh no! To some. What about Chris Rock? No, I don't think Chris Rock should be in politics. What about Sharon Stone? The part of the nature of Chris Rock's stand-up bit is political. (laughs) Sharon Stone. Oh, and now you're just all right. Let's just end this rock political thing. Uh, trying to think of somebody named Pebble. Okay. Ah, oh, the Flintstones are getting in on the politics game. Pebbles, yeah. the younger one. She's grown up to be quite the quite the political. Hey, uh-huh. speaking, of, speaking of Flintstones, Bam Bam uh-huh. is like Wham. No, that's not. Oh. Cut that. So Jared no. shared with me earlier yeah. this yes, week. Yes, yes, yes. Tyler. I wish Jared shared with me earlier this week, which was in the uh, playlist as well. The covers, the Lamb of God covers that they released on that legion xx album under the under their uh burn the priest the original name of the band no, i think we even mentioned the burn the priest thing but yeah so that's how they yeah they started as burn the priest and then uh, moved on but uh the covers are pretty cool that's a, a decent album he jared put two covers in the playlist they're both ones that he mentioned to me the first one uh was uh eye against eye that was a good one cover of bad brains Good a little bit and then the one that i listened to initially uh was a cover kerosene by big black which is it's a pretty good cover it is actually pretty They good. did a pretty good job of adapting the heaviness uh, and like, you know, brooding parts of Big Black that are like not really metal in nature, but can can become metal in nature because they have, uh, you know, ties to each other. I didn't anticipate a uh, kerosene cover. No, me side. either. I'm really surprised. Quite pleased as well. I think it, I think it was a pretty decent cover all in all. So to think that, I mean, in many ways, it makes sense that the tonality of Big Black or, you know, at least the idea of like the heaviness of that uh, would influence metal bands in terms of like understanding how to how they want to mix drums or how they want certain parts of their music to sound. But yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool. I will say this, Jared, based on the playlist that we have uh, upon us. I, I I didn't listen to everything at the time, but Uh I did see that something was included and I made a I made a mistake. Yes, because I saw you included a Limp Biscuit song, and I assumed it was related to Lamb of God. No, you're dumb. Oh boy, I just no, assumed. It, yeah, I just saw Limp Biscuit. And I said, must have something to do with Lamb of God. Yeah. Why? Well, I, I missed on talking about that because I, I like that cover a lot. We can talk about it in a, in a little bit, but uh, there's also a cover by uh, Devil Driver of Ghost Riders in the Sky. They did a Outlaws Till the End album where they covered old uh, country tunes. And Randy Blythe is the featured lead, lead singer on the Ghost Riders song, and it's pretty good. Interesting. Um, and then their guitarist, Mark Morton, released a solo album in uh, 2019 called uh, uh, Anesthetic that features uh, Mr. Kobe Dix, Jacoby Shaddix from ah, Papa Roach, oh, and Chester Bennington from Linkin Park. So that was kind of interesting. Indeed. Uh, and then one of the songs I added as well uh, from Lamb of God is a song called Embers that features Chino Marino from Deftones. So they got a few interesting features, old uh, Lamb of God does in their, in their music, and also have done uh, things interestingly with other people. They've done it. They have done it. And we have done it. <laughs> Jesus. Segway into you've been awful this episode. <laughs> I'm awful every episode. <laughs> every episode. You've been here now for uh-huh. over a hundred episodes, and you're yes. just now realizing how obnoxious I am. Mm. Where have you been? I've been uh, here. Who do you vote for, Jared? <sighs> this is a difficult because when I was listening earlier, I did not like uh, the other singles from Wham, and I like the story of Lamb of God. I liked interesting bits about them. But I think I'm going to have to select Wham based on uh, Wake Me Up, Before You Go-Go, and Careless Whisper and stuff. I just don't think I'll sit down and listen to Lamb of God that much. Like, I mean, I've seen him before. I like uh, Randy Blythe. I like his long... uh, He's got dreadlocks, kind of cool guy thing going on. But I'm going to pick Wham. Tyler? Uh, I don't for this uh, week. It's just not too difficult for me. These are two bands that I didn't really uh, concern myself a whole, and uh, really have like mostly just anecdotes to them. But if I had to choose one, which I do have to do now, I'm gonna have to choose Lamb of God. Hmm. That makes sense. 
I uh, I will tell you, put some thinking into it, and I will say that I will be voting for Wham. Typically, one would think that I would pick the metal artist, I assume, but if I was looking for a metal band to listen to, I think Lamb of God would be very, very far back on the list of metal bands that I would seek out. So I I, I see the merit in what Wham has done. I enjoy I enjoyed what I listened to George Michael and what I listened to from him. I think that they are a more significant group, especially in terms of like the time period that they were in. Whereas with Lamb of God, they're fine. I don't think they're necessarily a bad metal band, but they're not stellar in comparison to other metal bands. They didn't really have an impact on the time of metal that they They've came out of. They've been nominated for a Grammy. Caleb. Oh boy, that's not, that's what I mean though. Is that like you know they had some merit to them? I'm not saying they're a bad have. band. I'm just saying that you know Wham is the better band. They're the good band. Uh, Patreon would agree with me and Jared. Wham was considered the good band on old Patreon. And therefore, Wham is the winner on this occasion. Sad. I'm sorry that this came out your way, Tyler. You you made a switch to some metal, and you you really felt yourself changing, and lo and behold, here we are. <laughs> Wham still won. That's, yeah. That's not the, the real sad part is that it's uh, your guy. It's Wham! <laughs> Wham! <laughs> Yeah. Commitment. That's you important. Have to put the exclamation point. Yeah, get it in there. We rarely get to cover anyone who's exclamated. Might as well get it out while we while we're here. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Good Band, Bad Band. Next week we're talking about the Mighty Mighty Boston's. Follow us on our various social media things. Send us an email. It would be nice to us. Uh, maybe a radar uh, show on iTunes or something. Somebody else did, and they gave us a... a <laughs> it was a, a, a medium review. Medium. Medium so, rare. So uh, maybe next time, a nice one. So I say rake us, uh, just rake us across the coals. What? Ruin our day. Oh, my gosh. All right. Thank you for listening, and... Uh, We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. It's wham.